Welcome to the Seek Outside Podcast. Hey, you, should, you think that's bad? See Ryan on the phone in the office. <laughs> Yeah, that's something I kind of want to get into with you, Ben. I mean, obviously you got uh, this Ben O'Brien. He's got the Woodside uh, podcast. We've we've had him on the podcast here before, um, but uh, I don't know, man. I kind of think of you as, uh, you know, uh, you're honestly kind of the person that listening to your podcast there with with Meat Eater, uh, the Hunting Collective. It it was really one that. Uh, opened my journey into the philosophy behind hunting and you know really uh really trying to think about it it's interesting man like i've kind of been thinking about a concept recently with with hunting and um i've talked about it on our podcast probably way too much but uh it's like it's like almost being like bulletproof like what we were just talking about right if you if you want to post something online uh hunting is contentious with with a certain portion of the population and i I, i've been kind of thinking about this concept of like being bulletproof with your like hunting philosophy or like your morality with it and right so like if somebody Mm -hmm. comes up to you and has comes at you with uh with a challenge to what you're doing um it's almost like nowadays I feel like it's the hunter's responsibility being where hunting is at and possibly a a precipice, right? And conservation might be at a precipice just with the lack of attention uh, that that certain folks don't give to the the outdoors. Um, I feel it's a hunter's responsibility to kind of almost be bulletproof with their morality and, and be able to come back and have good reasons for doing what they're doing. And I, I feel like you were kind of the person that that started me down that path, just with with really thinking about where, you know, why you hunt and and going beyond just repeating the party lines and really trying to think about predator hunting and what what its scientific value is and stuff like that. So, yeah. um, well, appreciate that, man. That's why yeah. I got into it. That's why yeah. I got into it because I I found myself. You know, I was working at, I worked at hunting magazines, worked at National Rest Association, worked at Peterson's Hunting Magazine. I worked in like the ultimate bubble for mm-hmm. a while. Coming, coming into kind of professionally communicating about hunting, I was in a bubble for about eight years where there was certain ways to communicate and there were ways you didn't communicate. There were things you didn't, that you didn't ask, questions you didn't ask. It's kind of a way you socialize hunting and that was it. And then I went and moved to Austin, Texas and, and worked at this company called Yeti. And then they called me the hunting guy. I was like the hunting marketing guy, you know, so every room I walked into, they're like, there's a hunting guy. Mm. And so many of those people were non hunters at that company that I got put in the position to be the person who got asked about, tell me about this. Uh, tell me how hunting pays for how killing animals pays for conservation. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Tell me more about that. And I remember was in a meeting one time with someone from Patagonia. Uh, and I believe, I can't remember her name, but she was in conservation at Patagonia. I don't believe she's there anymore, but she asked me about, uh, specifically about Pittman Robertson. And I kind of stumbled. I had, I had, like I said, I had a cursory knowledge of, of Pittman Robertson. 
but I didn't have it. I had what other people had told me, but I wasn't, I didn't have that subject lick. I didn't, I knew I had no depth to my knowledge. And that's when I realized, Oh, if I, if I'm going to be this guy, it's hunting's going to be part of my identity. If I'm going to do it for a living, uh, what you said is absolutely correct. I better be able to articulate this in a way that I'm comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And I better be able to answer the hard questions. because They're coming. Um, whether it's family, friends, colleagues, random folks I meet on the street, like they're going to ask. Um, Cause most people, I believe it's 3.6% of Americans uh, last year purchased a hunting license. If I'm off on that, I'm not off by much. So there's another 97% of people who are going to be like, well, tell me more about this. You know? So you're just yeah. set up as, you're set up as kind of an outlier, no matter where you are. Now I live in Montana. I'm less of an outlier. You live in Colorado, you're probably less than an outlier. Mm-hmm. But when you, you go to Seattle, you're an outlier. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about it. Um, so it's just important to know that. Um, what you do with that is up to you, but it's important to know that for sure. And just know that you can have a positive impact on that 97% if you choose to do so. Yeah. What do you, what do you think about, like, there's new science coming out. Because the, the one that really gets me thinking uh, in terms of a, a morality bullet point around hunting is um you know it, it's always been thought that humans are the most intelligent creature on on the planet right and <clears throat> there have been all sorts of metrics you know I, I think it used to be like brain size to to body weight or something like that and now i believe that they've changed it uh to where it's like brain size to maybe like body fat or something something weird like that but anyway the by this new metric i saw something that um ravens and crows and uh other species in that that uh, genus there are uh according to that ratio they're more intelligent than humans right so they have a bigger brain size to whatever that other uh, metric is and it kind of brings up the point and i think we're gonna start seeing a lot more science on this coming up um is like i think animals are a lot smarter than we give them credit for and i don't know to what level that is right i don't know if they you know if a herd of elk you know if a a, a cow has the same relationship to her calf that a mother human has to their their kid but i i don't think it's no relationship right i mean you see these videos online of uh, a cow elk and a, a calf elk playing in a in a bath right or like a wallow or somebody's backyard and like i don't know being around yeah, a you dog, go oh you go yeah, oh yeah you that, go oh, oh or like you know the there's bears doing that kind of stuff and it just like the eye test makes it seem like these animals do have some sort of emotional atel- intelligence right and I think that that's something to be considered. Um, I don't. What do you What do you think about that? As somebody that thinks a lot about hunting and the morality of it. Sure. I mean, I think I think um, it's, it's probably best expressed in in the analogy that there. If, if you were say, if you're playing ping pong, or you ever played the game pong, like the old old. I'm gonna I'm gonna sound old. Pong for those uh, of you that just are on young. Phone. Yeah. yeah it's just a it was an old it was one of the first video games and it just had like two lines and a ball that bounced and you're basically playing ping pong right you're hitting that mm-hmm. ball back and forth and so many things in our society they're 
if you were thinking about the polar views, in this case, you might think of nature as metal as one side of the Pong game. Mm-hmm. And the other side of the Pong game is people that anthropomorphize animals, mm-hmm. right? That, that see them having personalities and want to never shoot a wolf because they think wolves are beautiful and, and bears wear suspenders and, um, they, you know, they love to eat, they, they love to eat chicken legs, whatever, whatever mm-hmm. it might be. If, if you think of those things as the two pong sides and they're beating this ball back and forth, like what you just described goes over to nature is metal because nature is metal. But it, to me was like a spasm that the internet did get so many people were on the other side. So many yeah, people yeah. were posting videos and going, Oh, look at this bear playing yeah. with its cubs and look at this bear licking one of its cubs. And then, and then nature's metal was like, wait, um, also bears, boars eat cubs, you know, destroy yeah. and eat other bears mm-hmm. to make sows go into heat. And so, you, you can you can visualize at least in this case the pole the poles here the two polar opinions on both sides hitting this ball back and forth and that ball never stops in the middle where there's somebody that's rational going hey we have to we have to consider both realities when we look at this objectively and be rational and be like hey look nature is unforgiving like the love the relationship that a cow elk might have to her calf is present that that relationship is present, but it's, it's present in the larger scheme of, of food chains and death and all of the things and trophic cascade and all these philosophies, um, that kind of <laughs> govern the, the greater natural world and the ecosystems that we function. in. So you just got to consider both those things. I, I consider as a moral human, I, I want to, I consider hunting as a better way to understand my place in that. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm able to say, well, I, I think at least my opinion is that if I'm eating something and nourishing my family, I'm hunting it, I'm learning about it. I'm immersed in its world. I can better value it on a broader set. Like I have mm-hmm. a better understanding of how to think about it and how that I relate to it as a human to a game species or not game species. So I, so that's that's where that's my stance. I think that's part of the answer. But for anybody to be like, no, you know, nature is death, go do whatever you want. It's your playground. Go shoot. Anything you want. But no, that's wrong. And for somebody to say, well, um, bears are cute, cubs are cute, so don't touch them. I love to watch them be cute. But mm. that's also not the answer. Yeah. Go back to uh, Dr. Valerius Geis intelligent intervention. Like we have to intervene in a way um, that addresses both of those issues and understand them. So that's kind of what conservation is at the, at the end of the day. It's definitely what wildlife management is. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where the disconnect is, right? Because when, when people uh, see that, like the same polar opposites happen in, in people too, right? I mean, like we got, mm-hmm. we got some atrocious shit happening amongst humans that humans are doing to other humans and it's just uh i think if if you're on one side or the other it's it's to disregard the fact that there's um the gray area you know that that's just what it is it's not black and white there's there's all the gray area in there but it it, it's also speaks to the point you know 
Aldo Leopold, right? When he was talking about the the two societal or the two um, the the two things that are the biggest disgrace in today's society. I'm paraphrasing his uh, his quote here, but it's you know to to think that meat comes from the grocery store and to think that heat comes from the furnace. You know, and to to uh, combat those, you got to go uh, basically warm your shins by good oak in february and you gotta go plant so plant uh, uh vegetables in soil that's infertile right and uh so it, yeah i mean i don't know it's just it's interesting because when you see something like that Derek wolf thing uh and these these people that are so against it it's just a complete denial of the the place that like we're we're, we're animals we're freaking animals and i hate when people don't don't uh, acknowledge that we're animals it's like that's what's crazy about nowadays is people seem to have forgotten that we have the place of you know in the food chain it's like we're alpha predators that's that's kind of what yeah. it is but, yeah and you also got to think of it this way i mean conservation as a concept is not in it well some of the principles of conservation are very old some of them go back to to the greek the ancient Greeks. Um, but in this country, in our system, not that old. Conservation, you know, around the turn of the century, every, hopefully everyone listening to this knows, you know, in the 1900s, we had a period of enlightenment that included Teddy Roosevelt, John Muir, and Gifford Pinchot, and a bunch of folks who were leaders and said, whoa, whoa, wait, we should conserve this for future generations. Like, that's our job. Our job isn't to consume it. Our job is to conserve it. You know, so that so we got to give ourselves a little bit of credit. We're a couple of generations into this damn thing, but doing pretty good uh, on a broad level. We got to oh, give yeah. ourselves a little bit of credit. But the other thing is, it's a story. To your point, the story that's just not known. And I, even within hunting, I always say this, but I've 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 taken several polls about important pieces of legislation, important important concepts and within hunting with all the hunters I know. and most of them can't explain it. and like I said I was there at some point too so I'm not mm-hmm. throwing stones um, but that's that's to me that there's there's two levels one there's the intellectual level I'm able to look at things like user pays public benefits our American system of conservation funding um, name it our North American model of conservation like intellectually look at those things analyze them look at the things that they produce positive and negative and, and what we can do better but what we've achieved and go that seems to be working so now i'm intellectually i'm fine i'm like i'm in a i'm in a uh, system it's not a voluntary system i don't get to choose whether i pay my excise tax or pay my license fees yeah. but i know that that system is is foundationally sound it is working it will work we it's, it's on us to kind of test it and prod it and make it better all but then on a personal level, I can, I can name 15 reasons why hunting has, has helped me be a better person and helped me emotionally, physically, all the things. So I just try to make sure that I have those two things wrapped up pretty tight. You know, can I intellectually understand it for me personally and then explain it to anyone? And then if they say, why do you do it? No matter the system, why do you do it? I can explain that as well pretty, pretty good by now. I've done it a lot. Um, so I just try to check those boxes for me and I'm always, I'm always going back and checking in on that and making sure I'm 
questioning some things that I thought and, and working towards getting better at it. Yeah. So I kind of want to talk about uh, Woodside a little bit. So this is uh, your new project, at least new since I think we, we last jumped on this podcast here. Um, but I really like it, man. I, I, I like uh, it's kind of a, a different approach. I mean, obviously, I, I don't think that Matt Ranella has been on many podcasts <laughs> in terms of other ones in the hunting out, outdoor recreation space. But um, I, I, I definitely like how you approach it with, uh, again, a more philosophical trying to explore. I mean, you have some some gear podcasts and stuff like that, but it seems to be a little bit, you, have, you know, Matt Ranella. I mean, he's a kind of a polarizing figure i guess uh you you might call him that um, i think you could i think you could uh, yep i think you could call him that and you'd be accurate yep. yeah so. yeah he's, he's very <laughs> objectively true at this point yeah he's very anti-hunting social media for anybody that doesn't know um but would you would you kind of explain like uh the the thought process and and what the inspiration for this podcast was yeah man like you said i you, i think you kind of it well earlier i i just when i first started talking about hunting i just i was in a position i explained earlier i was in a position where i was i was having to talk about hunting to people that didn't know anything about it it was becoming an increasingly important part of my life and i sat around i was like well i think this is going to continue <laughs> i think that if i'm going to continue speaking in public if i'm going to continue you know trying to understand my own positioning in all of this I better, I better figure out the why I better figure out my own philosophy, but then I better understand the core philosophies and value system that hunting pr presents for me. And then where I think it needs to change, I better, I better help change it, uh, mm -hmm. be active and change it. Cause I think it was a If you call yourself a conservation, you, you just have to be active. You have to be always pursuing something uh, around it. So I just approach our podcast now. I, I really hate, you know, one of the things I hate the most is activists. I hate people that are activists because they generally um, never stop to think whether they're wrong. <laughs> they never stop to analyze their own position and make it better. They're generally out. They've decided the world is, is a certain way. And they go to confirm that. It's part of what we had, part of the conversation I had with Matt Ranella about his approach was mm -hmm. that he was was great at correlation, but real shitty at causation. Like, just yeah. not very good at, at, I'm mad at hunting media. So everything is hunting media's fault. I'm mad at fill in the blank. I watch Fox News. I'm mad about whatever. I watch M MSNBC. I'm mad about whatever. So I go through the world to kind of confirm that bias, no matter, at, at any intellectual cost. I'll, I'm willing to sound like a complete hypocrite if I have to, to confirm the narrative that's in my head. Um, I've heard that so many times from people in hunting and, and outside of it were. So nowadays that's, that's really my main, my main purpose with that show is to kind of get people on that I either disagree with or I want to prod and poke about their positioning and hunting, their opinion, what, what we can learn from them. I uh, usually use whiskey to, to, to pry it out of them. Uh, yeah. My favorite way to do it. But yeah. I, I, I want to, I want to give people a better chance to examine causation 
because so many people are telling you what to think or telling you are, are using fear or anger or, or whatever's happening in your life to, to bring you to their world and get you and convince you that their way of thinking is, is the right way. Um, that's great. That's fine. Every, anyone can do that if they like my, what I'd rather do is somewhere near the opposite of that, which is challenge your thinking all the time, challenge my own uh, through challenging my own. thinking. So that's what I try to do when I can. I also uh, like to have fun. So I don't always want to be thinking too heavy all the time. So mm-hmm. I feel like you just have to be yourself. Um, and that's just who, who I am. I'm not a gearhead. I'm not, uh, I don't sit around and think about FOC and archery and I build my bow. It shoots, it hits the target. It's good. I'm happy for that. I go out, practice as much as I can to be an ethical hunter and, and move on. I'm not uh, making spreadsheets and, and being analytical about lots of things like that. So it's not, not who I am. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I try to do. I feel like that, um, is really important for people because there's a lot of people out there that are telling other folks to hate hunting media or to hate, I mean, to hate hunting. Um, you know, there's anti hunters within the hunting community now that go out and kill things and, and all they do is hate everything around them in the community. So there's a lot of people like that that are, that are um, doing their best to convince folks to have kind of a, a reductionist view of the things around them in hunting and, not to say I don't get pissed, um, you know, that I don't get mad when the Bomars get popped for poaching. I was, last night I was surfing around on CNN and there it was, an article about the Bomars mm. on CNN. And, and very, I'm sure soon after will be an article about Derek Wolf and his mountain lion. Yep. Like, I'm sure that'll be there. That pisses me off as much as it pisses anybody off. Um, but I try to, I try to have a real, a real um, objective view on things. I'm not always, I fail on that quite a bit, but I try. So the, the Bomars, uh, I haven't, I've just heard, you know, little, little snippets about what's going on there. Um, but basically they, they have, they're pretty popular within the hunting community, have a TV show and stuff like that. Um, would you just kind of explain that situation just a little bit more? Yeah, I'll do my best. I don't, I'm not yeah. like following it. I, yeah, okay. I try not to make this kind of thing my beat. <laughs> it's, yeah. just, it's a little bit yeah. depressing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Bomars have been, um, I've met them a few times, you know, at trade shows and whatever. Seem like mm-hmm. nice folks. They never came across to me. They're certainly, um, they're certainly influencers for, for the definition of the term. I mean, mm-hmm. they have uh, a fitness company where they're very well known. Sarah Bomar specifically very well known on social media and, and other places as a fitness influencer uh, years ago they spun that into uh, a hunting company called bomar bow hunting um and they're you know they're kind of in your face man you know josh mm-hmm. bomar is one of the most fit dudes you'll ever see and uh, he takes his shirt off a lot everybody has a friend like that you're like man put your shirt on we get it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we know that you have abs <laughs> put your shirt on all we need so is one picture. Yeah, they're kind of bombastic uh, mm. in a lot of ways. Both of them are. Mm. So I don't have any personal experience with them to say whether they're good people or not. I can just, like most other people, judge their, their media presence, which is part of the thing. Yeah. Um, I was in bear camp years ago now when Josh Bomar speared a black bear up in Alberta. I was in bear, the bear camp like the day after they left. So I got to 
see that. That was uh, a YouTube video where Josh spears this bear. I want to say, I think it was a Zamburu spear, not that it matters, but he spears this bear as, as kind of a ridiculous video. Um, at the time, like I think folks in camp knew it was going to be a problem. Well, sure, sure enough, the video went viral. Um, people were covering it, you know, as as they might cover you, anyone spearing a predator mm-hmm. when it gets into the NPR, into the CNN, into the into popular news cycle. It's going to be negative. Um, it was negative. It was a firestorm around that, um, and spearing animals was banned in the province of Alberta after that. So that's where they first rose to some sort of, whether you want to call it prominence, you can call it infamy. Uh, infamy. Yeah. So then, um, it's been years ago now. I'll pull up this. It's like a CNN. It's on CBS news. Now it's on CNN. They just got ordered to pay more than 130,000 of fines, restitution, other forfeitures. Um, their probation also includes they shall not hunt or otherwise engage in any activities associated with hunting limited to within the d- district of Nebraska. So basically, you're not going to be hunting in Nebraska anytime soon. Yeah. Um, no. They were hunting on a, on a, on a, out with an outfitter um, and they were illegally using bait traps to mm. kill uh, deer. And then under Nebraska law, you cannot kill big game or turkey within 200 yards of where food has been left with bait. Mm. Um, so there's they they were in violation of the federal Lacey Act, which is always the thing that gets people. Where you break hunting laws in one state, take the game that you obtained mm-hmm. to another state. That's where they got popped. Um, they, you know, Josh recently went online after putting in a plea deal, um, and said like we have been, we we've been it's been declared that we're not guilty. Um, but that's not true. That's <laughs> not what a st- police statement said. Yeah, uh, pretty obvious. So they essentially said, "Hey, we'll cop to conspiracy if you drop all the other charges." That's what the plea deal said, and then they just got uh, punished via what I just said earlier. So that's it's just a it's one. Of, I think it's the biggest. Let me look on this article and see what it says. The there are more than a hundred thousand dollars. I don't think it's the biggest poaching fine. In the state of Nebraska's history, it's very, very likely not, but it's that's one hundred thirty thousand dollars. That's a lot. Yeah, that, a lot of money. Yeah, for shooting hopefully, a deer over bait. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. hopefully that's they a lot were, of money. Yeah. Now, so again, it's, so now we're in like it's in. I don't know why it's now just hitting the mainstream news cycle, but it is. There are stories on CBS News, New York Post. The New York Post says. Celeb bow hunters fine hundred thirty three thousand for worst ever poaching ring. Um, no jail time for bow hunting couple Josh and Sarah Bomar in poaching case. CBS News and then some of the facts I was just reading you were from CNN. So, um, it's in it's in that news cycle now. Yeah, a lot it's, of people going to learn about it. It's very interesting how and I, this has been going on forever. I mean, uh, you know, there's there have been celebrity hunters who have been busted for poaching you know ever since i remember i was a little kid watching certain tv shows on sportsman's channel and then you you find out that they you know that they got busted for poaching um right but it it brings up an interesting point because i think uh and i think we're kind of going away from that a little bit with a lot of the with youtube obviously and uh 
I would say the majority of the stuff that at least I watch, you know, there's a big push around public land and, and making hunting content that's really authentic and, you know, showing misses or showing unsuccessful hunts. But for a long time, it was, I mean, you, you know, you follow Eastman's Hunting Journal on Instagram, right? And it's it's a lot of kill shot stuff, like, you know, 10 kill shots in, in a minute or whatever. And obviously, a lot of the big time videos back in the day were uh, packing, you know, 13, 14 hunts into an hour long DVD, right? Um, but it, it created like a, almost this competition for people. Um, and it, it, it kind of almost is in a way the it's almost like market hunting right um it obviously not to the extreme because everything's regulated but if you're creating in massive incentive for people to kill many things right which some of those videos back in the day centered around kill shots you had to go shoot 13 elk in one season just to get your your video out it it kind of is almost like market hunting and um it's good thing that we're going away from it but hopefully that doesn't swing back right as things fall in and out of favor um hopefully it doesn't come back yeah. but that, it's an interesting thing there's competition man it's something to be very careful with in the terminology um and i've probably slipped up on this a few times when we talk about marketing we gotta be super careful with what we what we mean um because i think there are very like hunting is already commercialized. It's been commercialized for decades. Upon mm-hmm. decades. Um, the fact that there's an industry around it that I've worked in for my entire adult life is, is evidence that it is, it is, there are commercial aspects hunting. And so it's, it, I hope, I hope folks are not conflating that with market hunting, um, or commercializing hunting overall. Um, no, it's a different thing, right? It's just, we have a system, you know, when Matt Ranella came on my show, he, he brought up this idea that you know, celebrity hunters were killing multiple elk, multiple deer, just for, just for their show. Mm-hmm. And I know that goes on. Um, I know it goes on. I've seen it. You know, people would admit to doing it. I mean, it's part of it. There's also this idea that people love hunting. <laughs> they want to experience as much of it as they can. Um, and it's just increasingly, to me, the more I've thought about this, it is so hard to adjudicate people's individual motivations or morality. Like, it, how can you, especially people you don't know, you never met. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a big part of it is, well, two things for me. One, you have to understand that we have a system. Our model of conservation is a, is, is a, a system that helps guide um, federal and state management agencies on how to think about them, how to act, um, what to regulate, where to press upon. Um, and, and part of the tenants will, are the elimination of marketing market game markets, market game. Like we kind of know where the, the fence is, where the lines are drawn. Um, we get to kind of play around in the, in the gray areas and have conversations, but we know this system is working. Uh, so if someone decides that they're going to, for reasons of a commercial activity, to, re- to have a media business like I do, kill more things to make more money, I if they ask me, hey, do you think that's right? I'm like, no, man, of course that's not right. Of course you're doing it for the wrong reason. But you're doing it within a system that has guardrails that's going to keep you 
as long as you're not poaching, doing things illegal, each system, state and federal system, set up to make sure when you purchase a tag, kill an animal legally on that tag, that you're that you're benefiting the whole. Like you are you are working within a system that is set up to make sure you're funding the things that need funded, um, that your activities are being are beneficial as a whole. So that's one thing I would say. Like it's always important to remember that. And and the second thing I'll repeat is that going going into somebody, especially somebody you don't know, and trying to adjudicate their motivation, morality behind something, you have no idea. Um, it's hard to do, and it's kind of a waste of time. A little bit of a waste of time. The way that I've being pissed at the Bomars, sure, go for it. Have at it, man. The Bomars have shown over the years that you being pissed at them doesn't matter at all. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of people pissed at them about spearing things. It didn't change them one bit. Um, the only thing you can do is, is try to find a way to positively impact people around you and the people that listen to you. How many of those folks there are? Um, you know, trying to, that, that's the biggest, the biggest fault with hunters and ethics and fair chase is trying to, to judge other people's individual motivations. That's what anti hunters do. They yeah. try to boil down your motivations and judge them. They try to generalize your motivations, boil them down, and then judge them. That's what they do. Um, As- that's very true because I mean, and uh, I, it can be very hypocritical when, because I'm always looking for a way to expand my season, right? Like what, what's something else I could start hunting this year? Um, even though like, you know, I'm like this year, I, I definitely have a, have a pretty solid freezer, right? I got a pretty full freezer. I was lucky this year. Um, but yet I'm still going and, and chasing ducks, right? And, you know, some of these animals might end up sitting in my freezer for a little bit longer than I had intended. And it's very hypocritical to say that somebody that's filming for, uh, you know, that's that's doing that for filming uh, to try to make a living. And you can make an argument to um, whether it's their intent or not, but to perpetuate the the hunting lifestyle and then you know those there's no doubt that those people uh in attaching some sort of monetary or ed, uh in entertainment value to hunting are expanding hunting's lifespan right i would i would argue um so it's it is hypocritical to say that hey look if he's trying to do it for for that reason it's bad but if it's if it's me just because i like hunting it's uh or 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 just because i want to get that rush of having some ducks you know cupped up into the decoys <laughs> that it's right mm-hmm. so yeah that, no yeah. that's a very interesting and it's hard and that, it's so hard you know I, it's yeah. hard with, with any individual person you can look at like you can look on the on the surface level of what they're doing or what they're creating and judge it that's part of content that's part mm-hmm. of being a media person mm-hmm. you put your you, you put your creative work out there um and people judge it it's part of it so so you you got to kind of understand that going into it so i think judging the content whether it's good or um or whether it kind of paints a full picture is is fully uh in the realm of what we should be doing with everybody Um, and if you create that content that's kind of part of what you should expect um you'd expect a like a, a reasonable dialogue around it not somebody yelling at you telling you suck at life 
Um, you, I expect a reasonable dialogue, but I, a dialogue is completely fine. I don't agree um, with folks that say like, "Don't read the comments." Like, I don't know. Maybe I don't, maybe I don't have enough comments, but I read them. I don't get mm. I don't get spun up one way or the other about them. I prefer emails because they seem to be a little bit more in depth, and people seem to think more about what they're writing. But but I, it's important to understand what what folks' opinion of. And you know, I'll, I'll give you one concrete example. Um, I like to hunt turkeys, and part of killing a part of hunting turkeys is killing a lot of them because that's kind of what you're out there to do. Mm-hmm. So over the years, I've kind of I've I've developed this idea that if I can kill ten turkeys in one spring, then I'm my family will have all the white meat we need for the entire year. We don't have to go buy some Purdue chicken breasts or whatever nonsense. Is that Costco? Uh, my wife loves Costco. So I'm fight, I'm battling Costco all the time. Yeah, not a sponsor. Uh, hate them. Good luck. Well, uh, yeah. Good luck catching keeping up with them. No, it's awful. It's, it's yeah. an awful place. It's, it's the worst place in the world. Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm. So that's that's over the years. I've had that. I've said that out loud. It's been something that's my goal. I haven't gotten a ten, but I've gotten close. Um, but there, as I've kind of analyzed that over the years, I love uh, mentoring people and teaching people, and and I love, I like, I like to think about turkeys on a ecosystem level and a national level. What are populations doing? What, what's the predation like? What you know, as, as someone who wants to be a steward, I got to think about some of the other inputs here. I can't just think about Ben wants to kill 10 turkeys and he's just going to go kill 10 turkeys. I got to think, okay, I have media. If I go to a place where there's not a lot of turkeys and do a film and be like, Oregon, and I shoot four turkeys, you know, I think Oregon has two, you can get two tags in Oregon. Let's say I, I shoot two tags, fill two tags in Oregon and go, woo, Oregon's great and leave. I'm not doing my job because I got to consider Turkey populations, you know, putting attention on a certain state or a certain area, what that's going to do, and then discuss that out loud. Mm-hmm. So over the years, I was just talking to my co-host for our turkey show, Sam Soholt, yesterday about, hey, man, let's make sure this year, because I did, I, I do listen to the critique that Matt Rennell and others have about hunting media. Let's make sure we discuss the areas we're going, turkey populations on a macro level, turkey population trends. The number of tags, regulation changes. Let's make sure that we talk about that. So anybody that comes here to hunt because they saw we were here also has that perspective. That if, if turkey populations are great, go hunt there. Great. The moment where you see a ton of pressure and you can and move where you're hunting or maybe take a year off that state or take a year off that area, you should do that too. Um, that's an adjustment I've made because of folks like Matt Rennell and people that have legitimate criticisms of of um how some of this media is presented so i would love i would love if that's what comes of this kind of current trend of critiquing hunting media and social media influencers and stuff. that would be great if, if we would all just take a look inward and find better ways to communicate the, the impact of what we we do so that would be cool man. i would love it if yeah r- right before you know i'm not gonna say anybody like right before uh, you know your favorite youtube channel um, start talking about their awesome elk hunt. They start talking about the tag system in Utah. How mm-hmm. many years it got to draw that tag? How it's changing in Wyoming? How it's changing in the areas where they are? That would be a, a great progression of hunting media because there I've seen I've been in town where like, they were like, oh, these two uh, hunting celebrity people were here last year, and now you know the the bar is full of hunters. 
mm. the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I mean, I think that's a problem. You know? Yeah. Um, and so I, so I, 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 I completely understand where folks like that are coming from. I probably didn't answer your question at all. I'm probably just rambling now, but I do, I do think that's an important progression for me and hopefully folks around me to realize. Yeah. And you brought up a, <clears throat> a good point there. Um, just, a, you know, hunting pressure and how it relates to hunting media, right? There's, I, I feel like there's sentiment amongst, uh, DIY guys, right? Uh, when you, when you see certain hunting celebrities going and, you know, they got it real good. They're hunting these areas every year where, you know, you just got all these bulls coming in acting like elk. And I feel like there is some sentiment about those people that, oh, they're doing it easy. Like they could never do it on public land, whatever. But the, and I heard this from uh, actually the Joe Rogan podcast. And when he said that it, it, this, it really opened up my mind. Um, but you know, if you're going to a big private ranch, right, where only five guys hunted every year, you are, you are, you could make an argument that that's way more ethical than going to an over the counter unit here in Colorado, where as soon as September 1st comes along, you know, there's ATVs going down every single road, pushing all these elk. Um, into spots where they'd never go you know there's there's big concerns for calf recruitment in a lot of these areas here in Colorado where um, you know to that point they're kind of starting to shut down the amount of numbers limiting it's happening all across the west but you know I was kind of and it's probably partly jealousy right when you when you see these guys hunting these real nice ranches and getting these giant bulls every year and you're like oh man that you know that's come do it on public land but what they're doing is far more ecologically sound i mean if you think yeah i mean i've hunted with i've hunted with joe and cam haynes and at at places where you're talking about i mean i've been there with them and hunted with those guys i know what it's like it's awesome (laughs) (laughs) it's so fun dude yeah it's so fun to pay all that money and get like an elk hunting paradise yeah it's fucking awesome sorry if i can't no go uh, ahead sleep me out um it's awesome it's great uh and and i love doing it i did mm-hmm. it for a long time i didn't really learn um i didn't really learn anything mm-hmm. personally so there's two sides that i get what joe's saying there and i've been critical of him a little bit he's you know we're we're friends but i've been critical of him in the way that he, like he presents pretty he presents just the food on his thing but there's there's the next time i get in front of him with microphones i'm gonna tell him that he's basically like you talk about how doing things that are hard make you better mm-hmm. it's not hard to hunt the desert red i've been yeah. there i shot an yeah. elk with those guys it ain't hard but yeah. don't tell me don't come and tell me about how hard you train and how hard that you work and then go hunt there mm-hmm. like there there's that is so it's, it's pretty hypocritical. Mm-hmm. Um, don't tell me how hard it is. Just don't, because it ain't. I've been yeah. there. Uh, I when I went there, I missed a couple bulls. I made it harder than it had to be. But it's it's there are a lot of elk in there. Yeah. Um, so he's right about what you said. Um, on a personal level, though, going to those places is kind of like microwaving elk hunting. So you have to. Yeah. I, if it was me. 
I never, when I went there, I never did this. So again, but if I went there today, I would make sure to talk about how it's so, it's so awesome. It's one of the best experiences you can have as an elk hunter. You go into every drainage on those places and there's 14 bulls running in circles waiting to get, get shot. (laughs) It's amazing. Yeah. It's like, it's like an elk. I wrote an article about this for North American elk magazine recently. Uh, about finding it's called finding failure and just uh, just about the deseret and about this elk bulls everywhere mm-hmm. I mean, you make any noise and a bull comes running up to you mm-hmm. um for me personally killing a bull on public land was way 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 more rewarding i mm-hmm. got the bull hanging in my studio here i get to look at it every day for a reason because it's not a big one i killed a much bigger one on the deseret um but i worked my butt off and learned a lot Mm-hmm. so on one hand i don't agree i don't think it makes you it doesn't make you a better elk hunter in some ways you don't even have to be an elk hunter to kill a, you can be an archer and go there and shoot a bull with your bow um so you're not really learning elk you're not learning how to call them so on a personal level i wish that some of those folks would would admit that they're taking an easier route mm-hmm. but on the other hand you're right man like 100 you're right I, everything has you know shades of gray you know everything yeah two realities you're right on a broad level the more folks that go and and take up those private land tags are less less folks that are displaced in the other areas um and it's the public is not going to be able to hunt the desert anytime soon so it's not like it's not like you're taking uh displacing hunters or if, if by leasing it or by taking part in that outfitted hunt you're not taking away some state-based access program. That's never going to happen or will, probably won't happen on, on a ranch like that. So, yeah. so no, he's right about that. On the broad level, it's awesome. Um, it's better for you. But it's, on a personal level, you're just not getting the elk hunting. You're not getting like gritty public land elk hunting where you have multiple factors is way more rewarding and makes you better. Yeah, uh, I think there's no, no doubt about that part. Yeah, well, and there's there's a couple different levels there because I mean the the big thing with private ranches, right? If you got a fifty thousand acre ranch um, that has that's racking in all this money from elk hunting, that thing is never going to change. It's one of the one of the most secure, uh, you know. Com- well, I shouldn't say most secure because there could always be kids that sell it off, but temporarily, it's the most secure conservation easement right that you could ask for i mean of just pristine and a lot of these people manage these properties for pristine elk habitat so i mean you know it's it's more so like ecologically and not having a ton of Mm -hmm. of uh of pressure on elk but you know the other thing is i mean there's different levels to it right because um I, I hunt Colorado. You you hunt Montana, right? These are two states where basically anybody can go. There's lots of pressure you know september everybody wants everybody's coming out from all around the world to to hunt elk in these spots um so so it's different but this year i went down to new mexico um and and did an elk hunt down there and you know it was it was an easier unit to get into in new mexico uh it's not like one of those you know you got 0.002 percent chance of drawing the tag it's it's (laughs) much higher but um man such a big difference in how elk act just the fact that it's a little bit more managed i think another factor was there was there's a lot less summer like outdoor recreation so the 
elk or act a little bit more normal before hunting season um so so there's that which is kind of like the middle ground and then there's obviously you, you know you got public land colorado or montana and you got new mexico like that and then you got these private ranches wherever so there's i mean there's different levels and yeah it's, yeah. it's tough tough to there should be something there should be something for everybody i yeah people should be able to do whatever they want to do mm-hmm. and on the broad level as long as they're hanging out and doing the right thing i think they should be able to hunt the deseret as, as long as they can afford it yeah. take your private jet there i don't care i love yeah. it man it's a great i mean if i was rich i'd probably hunt there every year <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if i could afford it i would go um and the people that that are rich enough and can can afford that have worked their butts off to get to that point and they deserve to hunt any which way that they please mm-hmm. um, within the bounds of our system and the rules. Of course. Um, so I'm the last person to say that anybody should have to hunt a certain way. Um, but again, I mean, there, there, there's no, there's no version of this. If someone is telling you there's not a lot of opportunity in hunting right now, they're lying to you. Yeah. There's people out there saying, Oh, the hunting opportunity, the hunting access, the hunt, that that's a lie. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a flat out lie um is is you know through your peephole through your keyhole might you be able to see some issues in your local area is there more hunters in the gallatin valley where i live than there were before sure absolutely is there is there still an immense opportunity to hunt an animal that's only been on this landscape and been huntable for about 40 to 50 years absolutely are we living in the golden years of access to elk we are um so just like with everything else you gotta look you got to investigate what someone is telling you, whether they're telling you to be all positive or all negative or, or just investigate it and say, look, there's opportunity. If you work for it, there's opportunity. If I told you where I hunt, most people would be like, you hunt there? But people that know around here would be like, nah, seriously. You hunt there? Really? No. You get no out there. It's really? all just people, a bunch of idiots, trash. Mm. Um, I do pretty good. <laughs> so nice and there's people around but i do i do pretty good i figured it out uh, the people are are a part of the equation just like the elk are. like it just you know so I, I i would encourage people to look at it that way number one but also understand the analogy that i u- have been using which is if the bus stop is crowded it doesn't mean the country is full it just yeah. means the bus stop is crowded like you have to be able to find that perspective and if if and I agree with you, man. I've hunted Colorado in rifle season, I don't want to say seven years ago. And I was like, well, last time I'm doing that, it, it would have been better as a NASCAR race yeah. than a hunting camp. Um, so I was, I, I just did, I'm just not, I just go there anymore. If I lived there, I'd be frustrated. Absolutely. I'd be frustrated. Um, with, with that. And, and Colorado has changed a lot of its management and tag uh, availabilities and adjusted things, as has Idaho, mm-hmm. as has Wyoming is about to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Montana is always kind of shifting and adjusting based on the political winds. But I, I just, I would say there is immense opportunity. Um, and if the trailhead used to hunt with nobody there is full, it's up to you to deal with it and move on. Like, just, just spinning that into some sort of like reductionist view of the rest of the hunting population is not going to be any good. It's not. Um, and yeah. if you see, if you see a way with a, with a local commission or with speaking up or writing a letter, if you see a way to make it better, do it. That's part of, that's part of being in this community. But 
don't let somebody make it negative for you, man. Because I'm sure that there's times in this country where it was negative, where there weren't a lot of animals, where there weren't a lot of opportunities to go and pursue things you want to pursue. To your point, you just went to New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Colorado got a little sketchy for you. Drive to New Mexico. Drive yep. up here to Montana. Put in for the general tag in Wyoming. Put in for the general tag in Montana. Um, go hunt Rosie's in Washington, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's, you know, there's a responsibility with all of it, but I, I, I think if, if you're being objective, you would say it's hard to bitch. It really is. It really is. And, you know, even uh, like rabbit hunting, that's, that's one of my new favorite things to do. Uh, uh, we got a spot over here and man, it's so fun. It's like pheasant hunting, right? But, but in, in the mountains and it's easy. Anybody can do it. You don't need a dog. I'm sure it'd be awesome if you had a dog, but you know, there's, there's so much opportunity just like that. I mean, we got plenty of duck hunting spots here in Grand Junction where, yeah, there, you got to sign up for them, but you can usually find one, uh, if you wanted to. So even if it's not the, and I, I think obviously getting a bull elk is you get a lot more meat and if if you're if that's a big factor for you which it is with me then you probably want to chase elk but if you're just looking to hunt and you know get out there and enjoy nature i mean there's so many other different opportunities i mean here like nobody dove hunts which is crazy because there's always every you know it's probably every other year it seems like there's a ton of doves here and so you know there's there's plenty of opportunities uh if you're if you're willing to look for them so yeah i'll tell you man like my recent my most recent experience with my podcast and some of the commentary around it is is that there is this i don't know if it just ebbs and flows and maybe it's just my bubble but there's certainly a lot of negativity flowing around mm-hmm. and yeah. Yeah. yeah man i just i i think i go back to like the idea of causation prove it to me prove it to me if you think that hunting media is worse now than ever and is negatively affecting hunting you have to not just say it to me prove it to me Mm. if you prove it to me I'll listen (laughs) like I'll stop hunting if if that means there's going to be turkeys for my kids I'll stop doing podcasts that means there's going to be turkeys uh, for me in five years yeah Uh, I got a problem with that I'll go I'll go build houses or I don't know what I'll do. I'll be a psychologist. I'll do something fun. You know, yeah. I'll go to biology school and work in that in the Yellowstone National Park. I'll, do it. I'll figure it out. Yeah. I care about that the resource that much. Um, I just think there are a lot of forces that are trying to convince folks to have that negative mindset. It's just not. It's just no good, man. It's not a thing that um, is going to get anybody anywhere. And again, to go back to the Bomar uh example those those folks have taken about the most flack of any 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 people that i know in the hunting world and they're still doing what they do um Mm -hmm. they're still out there making content they're still hunting they're still presenting it the way that they want to present it and nothing very little has changed um despite everyone focusing on them and and pushing all their negative energy towards the bomars they're just hanging out and doing what they do I haven't seen a whole lot of contrition or change, even with this most recent, very serious uh, violation. So, I, I, I come, I come to it like, man, there's a lot of opportunity. There's really cool things to do, um, and 
I, I would love to see people remain active and, and question things when they have to and when they need to, but, but shake off kind of that negative vibe that I've been feeling. Yeah. Well, it seems it's, I don't think it's just hunting. I think it's, uh, you know, a lot of stuff in the world. I think it just comes from, we got it so freaking good nowadays and people are always just looking for problems. We're problem solvers, right? So you gotta, you gotta find those problems <laughs> as, uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's almost, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. Maybe I'm just, I just coming off a podcast with Matt Ranella and then, and it was like, there was so it within and without of the industry, you know, so much commentary around it. It was so intense. Like people were, it just seemed like for lack of a better term, the zeitgeist was around this topic. And again, I I'm growing up, I've grown up in the social media age. My, my generation was the first generation to grow up with phones and whatnot in mm-hmm. the pocket. So I remember all kinds of changes. Um, when I was in the industry, Twitter wasn't even a thing yet. I don't think, or maybe it was just starting. Instagram definitely wasn't a thing. Yeah. My face and Facebook. So, um, there's been so much change, you know, here in the last 12 to 15 years that I think we're all just kind of going through the motions on, on learning how to handle it. So that, that, that itself is a, is a very understandable thing. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, uh, it's interesting. And just like every, uh, every topic like you know every philosophical topic there's never really an answer and it can be it can be interesting because you 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 can never land on something i feel like for me when we're when i talk to somebody about you know like hunting media and then i talk to another person i'm always just flip flip flopping right like i'm always (laughs) i wouldn't say flip flopping but you know you just consider and you go back and forth about oh is 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 that really is that the right thing or is this the right thing? So there, there will probably never be a, a correct answer, right? It's just, uh, but it's up to us and it's up to Woodside, you know, your podcast to keep exploring those, uh, those topics there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I went to journalism school and one of the things I was taught was just to be skeptical, man, to speak mm-hmm. truth, power and be skeptical. I'm not some crusader in that way, but I, I was, I'm just skeptical of my own beliefs. Uh, I'm skeptical of people around me that, that seem to have it figured out. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I want to be like, okay, you got it figured out. But tell me all about that. Um, Cause maybe I'll just, maybe there's an, there is an easy way. Mm-hmm. Um, I see it all the time, man. I have a podcast and every time I'm on some kind of digital media, there's a dude on there going, do you not have enough listeners? Well, use my patented solution to get mm-hmm. more listeners. Dude, I've been doing this for a long time. Um, if you figured that out, boy, you 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 got it licked. And I guess maybe you do have a product I need, um, but I guarantee you don't. Yeah. <laughs> so part of that is just you know internalizing the struggle and getting better as a person. Hunting lets you do that. Hunting lets you do that in a real way. Oh yeah. You know, you're going to be presented, man. I'm sure you've been through this. I've been through this a lot. Where you're by yourself or with a friend. And you're presented with a thing you could do that no one would probably know about. Technically, it would be wrong. But it's not that big a deal. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a thing. Again, I'll. I'm not trying to like extol my virtue here, but I had. A, I made a stupid mistake. We were hunting on a ranch, private ranch in Texas last year. And this ranch is a is a bison ranch, so it had fences. Every there's this kind of labyrinth of fences all over the place. 
Mm-hmm. So I was, my biggest confusion was where's the property board? <laughs> I was always wondering where no. the property board, there's always a pasture fence in our way. And so I just decided like killing a turkey on this place is going to be getting them through one of these fences. There's so many fences. Chances are I'm going to have to get one of these turkeys through this fence. Mm-hmm. So on the second day, we had two toms coming up this little creek bed and called them up into 20 yards. They come right on the fence and strut in front of me at 15 yards. I've got a red dot on both their heads multiple times. I could have doubled quite easily. Um, and I, I just, unless they come across this fence, I'm not going to shoot them. And boy, was that hard <laughs> to this day. That was hard. So I let them go, let them walk off. They don't come through the fence. A couple of times they like stuck their head through the fence, uh, but never came through. It was agonizing. Oh man, it was uh, the worst thing that ever happened to me. And then my buddy who was hunting with me comes running up behind me after they gobbled their way off into the other property. He's like, "You could have shot those birds, man." I was like, "What?" I was like, "I thought they were on the other property." He's like, "No, dude. There's like a little corner fence right here. They were on our property. You could have shot both those turkeys." It was the worst, shittiest feeling I've ever uh, had in my life. I ended up not, I remember ended up not having a great year in Texas last year. And it was like, it just sticks in my crawl. Um, but I had just, I had just decided that like getting turkeys through a fence was one of the challenges on this property. And I was getting these damn turkeys through the fence where I wasn't shooting. Yeah. Um, does that, did that suck? Oh, dude, that sucked so bad. Um, but that was just the way that I was approaching that hunt. I don't, I feel like that's just part of, what you have to do sometimes like set the challenge and follow your own rules because i could have shot those turkeys and be like well they stuck their head to the fence (laughs) told myself that i just decided i wasn't going to do that you know so hunting allows you to have these very private ethical decisions um or with somebody that one of your buddies where you're like hey man i could do i could have done that but i didn't or i did uh it was questionable but i did it anyway um yeah like it just presents that stuff to you all the time you know so definitely so you gotta man you know it's like step up to it and own that stuff exactly no it's and i've been in that situation especially like now with like onyx right um we're seeing that there's a lot of property boundaries that are either the onyx is wrong or you know the 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 fence line is wrong but i've i've had that situation happen multiple times where you know you get up to a fence line and then the the onyx says that the fence is you know 30 yards that way and and hopping over this fence and maybe going through this little creek bed would would make it a lot easier but i don't know i always try to err on the side of caution there uh you know unless it's like ridiculous um you know some fence going right through uh, the middle of public land um like uh, i don't know i've come across a couple couple uh fences that looked like they were put up by outfitters to try to keep other horse packers <laughs> out but um yeah man it yeah, just man. it constantly constantly tests you and it's fun it's a challenge that's what i love it man i love yeah. those little moments where you're like because you get you, it, especially with your buddies if, if they're the right kind of buddies i guess you have a social contract mm-hmm. of sort. yeah how you're gonna do shit you know? mm-hmm. how you're gonna work or be in the woods Who's going to do what? Sometimes my elk hunting buddies, I like elk hunting alone. I think it's much better archery elk hunting alone. It's way, you know, you need some buddies on call <laughs> if you, if you want to pack out in any a real yeah. way without yeah. taking a couple of days. And in this country, you got to get it out of there before the grizzlies and wolves get it. Mm. But 
when I'm elk hunting with a buddy, we, I try to make sure there's a, a real decision. Like, Hey man, we're going to be hunting on the border of public and private. If we get a bull and he's 20 yards from the border and we know if we shoot him, he's going to run into private. We got to back off. Like we got to yeah. do something different. Yep. Uh, hey man, today, if I'm hunting with a, somebody that's kind of at my level of hunting, I'm going to go today. You're the boss, man. Whatever you say goes strategy wise, I'll follow you tomorrow. You follow me. Like that's, uh, me and my, uh, my elk hunting co-host Sam Lunger can do that all the time. Yeah. If we're hunting together. Be like, today's your day, man. You, you make a call. We don't want to, I don't want to stand around here and, and debate whether to go down in the drain. It's like, you just, you take, take control. And I'll follow you. And tomorrow you screw up. I'll, you follow me. <laughs> we'll That's a out. good idea. Yeah. Yeah. So you I have like, like you make a contract with yourself, but you also make a contract with the people that are around you. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you say it out loud or not, like that, that's happening. You know, so I love that part of it, man. It keeps you honest. And it, it, it really keeps you, whether you're on private or public, private, it's yours. You're yeah. taking care of it. Um, same thing when it's public, you're paying into it. You should take care of it too. But if it's private, it's yours. You know? mm-hmm. You're managing it. So why not have a contract with yourself about what the guidelines are going to be and how to best maximize that thing that you bought? Um, I think that, I think those contracts are important to think about. I, I think so for sure. And I, I don't want to take too much more of your time up here, but I kind of just want to ask you one more question based on that. Yep. So with, um, with that contract and obviously there, there are people within hunting that are, um, very just like they do everything by the book. Right. And they, they, like you take like a Doug Duran, for example. Right. <laughs> I mean, that guy, he's, he's, uh, like he's exemplary right that's kind of how you would want um how you'd want to be what what you'd strive for and i'm sure you've been around a lot more of these people just being in in the industry for longer than i have and you know having the awesome podcast and stuff like that do you do you have any idea whether it's hunting that kind of and and being a hunter kind of forms these people or would you think that it's actually these kind of people find their way to hunting it's interesting man it's interesting to think about how people find their way to hunting just in general Mm -hmm. i i've seen it both ways i think both things are probably true um i'm a big fan of duality so i think in this case probably have two things happening at once true i've seen two things one uh i've seen a lot of people get mentored that are brand spanking new to it and they're adults Right. So they come mm-hmm. to it. When I was a kid, there was no, we, my dad didn't talk about ethics. <laughs> mm. It was not something that we talked about. He taught me how to do it, but he didn't say like, Hey, morally, we're going to do this or ethically, we're going to do this. It was like, this is how I do it. This is what I think about. I was a little kid. I just follow my dad and I have kids now and I think they just follow me. To some extent. We don't really talk about ethics and morality and, and value systems. I don't talk about that with my six year old. Mm. Um, we, we, we address the concepts, but I don't talk talk about it in that way, in an intellectual way. So I've seen it in, in adults that come into hunting. I call them emergent hunters. It's way better. Somebody else came up with that, so I like it. Like, they're coming into hunting, and I've seen them have to grapple with the things we're talking about. Get put mm-hmm. into a position where they could kill something, or they're like, they really, really want a deer, man. They'd be like, 
five years looking for a deer and they just want to kill a deer and eat it. And that's all they've ever wanted to do. And they put money and time and all this effort and angst into it. And then they get to a point where there's a deer at 55 yards and they know that they can't make that shot. Mm. And then they draw their bow and they get to, they get to see how their decision-making happens under stress. They get to see whether they send the arrow and, you know, shoot it in the guts or maybe even kill it. But like they get to test themselves in a very real way. Um, and, and for most people, it makes you better. It just, mm-hmm. that, that pressure makes dying. Like it, it, it makes you better. It makes you appreciate the skill, the craft, all the other things. Those moments really do, I think, ultimately like test people, cause failure, but eventually reward them with a better perspective. Right. So mm-hmm. I've seen it that way. But I've also seen, like you said, people that, that seem to just be born into hunting and, and do it a certain way. Doug Dern's a great example of this. So many examples. So like 9.9 out of 10 people I've met in the hunting industry are amazing human beings. Amazing human beings. Yeah. It has been, if I died tomorrow, my, like <laughs> my, I hope, I guess, you never know, but you hope most of the people at my funeral would be from the hunting industry, probably. Yeah. I'd have, like, my family <laughs> and hunters is what yeah. it would look like. And I think what I've seen, which is one of the reasons why I stay pretty positive about the whole affair, what I've seen is that, you know, think about Doug Duran generationally, the way his family managed the land his family farm before he got it was so different than the way he named it. So he, he went from a certain way of doing things traditionally to changing the complete trajectory of his family's land through learning and exploration and just being a well-meaning person, like valuing all the things around him in the right way. Mm. So I think hunting made him better. Yeah. And I think con- like the idea of conservation makes people understand like when you plant a tree, the shade of which you'll never sit, like that's like, still a good thing. I think hunting provides that for people. Um, so yeah, I think it makes you better, but it just it makes you better in different ways depending on how you got the moment you're in. Um, so I'm 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 pretty dead set in being an evangelist for the thing. Like it's just what I am now. Yeah. Um, but I love talking about it for that reason. It gets me fired up, man. <laughs> I'm oh, yeah. fired up to go to trade shows and see a bunch of people and, and uh, talk about hunting and show them pictures and do the thing. So it's, 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 a general, it's a generally lovely place to be. So I, I bring up the negative part. It's just like, I just feel like that's a, a vibe right now, but generally, man, it's, a, it's been a, it's, I couldn't imagine my life going any other way. Yeah. Well, that's true, man. I mean, you go to trade shows and, I've never really even had a, I mean, every once in a while we'll get somebody up coming up to seek outside that, you know, had, had some bad experience, but other than that, man, I mean, yeah, it's like you were saying 99.9% of the people that you meet, like just whether they're customers of seek outside or people that work for other companies or, you know, media people, personnel, um, just, it's, it's nice. And you always have a baseline to talk about right <laughs> which is nice because there's a lot of people where if you just walked up to them and try to start a conversation it would you'd take you know 10 15 minutes trying to find something that you both could talk about yeah man when i make friends with somebody through some other means 
I feel like it's just not any good. <laughs> like I, if I'm like playing yeah. pickup basketball with somebody at the Y, I don't do that shit. But if I did, I just know that like our relationship wouldn't be anywhere near as cool or deep or fun as if I was duck hunting buddies with somebody. Oh yeah, like, just not, it's just you just know once you've done it. You know, I've got yeah. friends that I met at church or friends I met wherever it might be. Um, we're just kind of like cordial and, and, and fine, fine, yeah. fine, fine, fine. But somebody that I regularly go hunting with, it's just different. Yeah. It's just different. It brings yeah. you together in a way. Like I said, I think that contract, is, when you're doing something that intense and that serious and that you train for, you got to kind of have a, a closer, better way to communicate, and, you know, a closer experience. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, I could just continue. It's fun to be able to evangelize these ideas. It forces me to understand things better, be able to articulate them better. And that's the game I'm playing with my shows. And it's, it's kind of about me, unfortunately, for everybody else. I'm just trying to find people to help make me better. And hopefully that exercise um, will help somebody understand the things I'm trying to understand. Uh, I, I think you're doing a great job, man, with it. Do um, uh, you want to just give people the rundown on where they can find because obviously Woodside is available yeah. wherever you can get podcasts, right? But you got some other stuff going on as well. Yeah, we got a lot going on. Um, we're going to be putting out a lot of video this year, um, creating some new channels and things that folks don't have access to now. So that's coming. Um, but right now, you can find me in, on, I like Instagram. I'm not going to get on TikTok ever. <laughs> that is now. Never. Uh, I might. Yeah. I might. Don't make convince me to. But uh, Instagram at BennyOB301. And then you can find Woodside uh, anywhere you find podcasts. Bunch of new things in the works. We got uh, our turkey show coming up on our, our podcast network uh, with Sam Soholt uh, called Roost. We got an elk hunting show with Sam Lundgren. I like Sam. Uh, that's called Wallow. We just put out an application season spectacular for Wallow. All about flying for elk around the country. So mm-hmm. check that out right now. And then, yeah, we're going to be introducing a bunch more cool content on our network and concentrating on the visual aspects of it and, and getting some, some cool video elements to accompany our audio work we do. Heck yeah, oh, and man. I get—I can't forget about the Hunt and Common. That's our nonprofit. Um, I know you've been involved over the years, and really appreciate it, man. Um, that you can go to thehuntandcommon.org. We are uh, working on creating state chapters in every place that we possibly can, where we can uh, provide mentorship, localized mentorship um, for folks where they live, um, and match people and pair people up, and give you somebody that can mentor you for the long haul wherever you live. So. Go to thehuntingcommon.org and and fill out our our little form there. That that email will come to our team, and our team will work on connecting you with folks in your area. And if there isn't anybody in your area, maybe that could be you. So um, there's a ton of ton of growth and fun stuff to happen there as well. Right on! I love to hear it, man, and uh, appreciate you doing what you do. And uh, thanks for joining. And I don't know, maybe we'll cross cross paths at uh western hunt or bha or something like that yeah i'm sure i'll see one or both of those man it'd be, it'd be fun to yeah i'll be at western hunt for sure be cruising around for a couple of days um low key as it can be and uh yeah get together have a beer yes sir we'll plan on it yeah man <laughs>